So the passage of Scripture this morning we are focusing in on is Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be focusing in on verses 25 through 28. But I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 4, verse 20, all the way to 32. So I'm going to read the larger, that half, the last bit of the chapter, because that's where we're going to be in this week, and Lord willing, the next few weeks. So it's all united together. So I'm going to be starting at Ephesians 4, starting at verse 20. You can find us on page 1,158 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in your Son, Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness. Father, we thank you that in your Son, Jesus Christ, there is freedom. Through the power of your Holy Spirit that comes to dwell within us, you make us alive so that we can be free of sin, free of the devil, free of the world, and we can live for you in your holiness, for your glory. And this is all by your grace. Father, we pray that you will give us wisdom and understanding through your Holy Spirit that we may know your word, know your truth. Guide us now. We are absolutely dependent on you for everything that is true and good. In Christ's wonderful name, 
Amen. As we've been looking at this in Ephesians 4, we've been seeing this context right before what we looked at last Sunday of a putting off the old self and putting on the new self. The Apostle Paul says that in many different ways throughout scriptures where we take off that old life of sin, of rebellion, of disobedience, of selfishness, of hatred toward God and hatred toward other peoples. That old garment of sin and evil, we strip off and throw it away. And then we put on a new garment. And that new garment is our new self in Jesus Christ. That's the new self that was raised to new life that we are resurrected to after we died with Christ by believing in him. We are raised to new life in Jesus Christ. So literally putting on that new self is you are putting on Jesus Christ himself. And the whole focus of Ephesians chapter 4 And the rest of this letter is what it means to become more and more like Jesus Christ. So that's the key. That's the key. Every morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, every morning when you wake up and you're thinking, what should I do today? Number one on your list. Every morning. On your agenda, whether you write it out or have it on your phone or your computer tells it to you in some mysterious way how that works. Whatever way you've set up your day and your schedule and your planner, the first item of importance that would carry you through the rest of that day is become more like Jesus Christ. That then becomes the main focus of our lives. That's, that's literally everything. That would cover everything. Oh God, that becomes our prayer, help me to be more like Jesus Christ. More like Jesus Christ in my complete obedience and devotion to you. More like Jesus Christ in my love for other people. More like Jesus Christ in my willingness to die to myself, to sacrifice myself so that others may come to know and believe in Jesus Christ? More like Jesus Christ in words of love and holiness and truth. More like Jesus Christ. So that becomes the focus. That becomes what is the sanctification process. As we've been talking about, once you have been justified, once you have been made right, by having faith in Jesus Christ, by having faith that God in His grace sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to take your sins on Himself when He went to the cross and to bear God's wrath that we deserve, that He would bear that on Himself, to have faith in that, that Jesus did that, for all the elect and that you are one of God's children and you believe and trust in that through faith in that, that God's grace has saved you in Jesus Christ. You've been justified. So you've been made right. So you've been made alive. 
and you've went from death to life. You've went from condemnation to a child of God. You went from being a child of wrath to a child with whom God is well pleased because who you are in Jesus Christ. So if that's our justification, then our sanctification then is how can I in thoughts, words, and actions become more like Jesus Christ more and more and more every moment, every day, every aspect of my life. So that's what's at the central focus of this, taking off the old self and putting on the new self, Jesus Christ. So what's powerful about verses 25 through 28, what's so powerful about this section of verses is here we see a contrast. Here we see a contrast. The first contrast is between falsehood and speaking the truth. The second contrast is between anger that leads to sin and destruction or anger that doesn't. And we see the third contrast is steal no longer. The contrast between stealing and being a thief to someone who is working hard so that they can contribute. So what's so interesting about these three points is in the middle of these three points, verse 27, he speaks about not giving an opportunity to the devil. An opportunity is how the ESV translated, the NIV translated, is not giving him a foothold. It's a good description. If you're, if you're climbing something and scaling something, you, it's go, the only way I'm going to make it up, I've done very little rock climbing in my life, and it is essential for me to have good footholds. I do not have the upper body strength to just, with a few fingers, pull myself up some rock face. I can't do it. There are people who can, but I can't. So what the verse is saying here in 27 is you don't give the devil any kind of hold to scale and climb into your life anymore. No, you want your life to be a complete flat granite surface where there is not a crack, not a crevice for him to climb in anymore. No more opportunity. No more foothold. Now, why does he mention this opportunity of the devil in the midst of here? Because in the context of verses 25 through 28, he's talking about lying. He's talking about killing and destroying and stealing. And what are the attributes of the devil? Remember, all the thief comes to do is to steal, kill, and destroy. And all the devil knows how to do is to lie. So literally, the Apostle Paul in verses 25 through 28 is encouraging us to stop living now that we've been set free in Jesus Christ to live no longer like the devil. That's what he's saying. And instead of living like the devil, we are now to live like Jesus Christ. That's the contrast. That's what we see built up here. 
in this passage of Scripture. This is important. There's, there's two passages of Scriptures I want to take you to to set the context for this, and we'll walk through this. The first one is John chapter 8. This is verse 44. So you go to John chapter 8. We'll go up to verse 42, just to set the immediate context. This is when the Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders were slandering Jesus. They're trying to destroy him. They don't believe in who he is. So John 8, starting at 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. This is a powerful statement. Unable to hear what I say. Jesus is literally saying, you cannot. It is impossible for you to understand my teaching of truth. This is what Jesus is saying to them. Why is that? Verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil. Now the reason he's saying this is just before they said that their father was Abraham. That they had father Abraham. And that they were of the faith because Abraham was their father. So Jesus makes a contrast here. Verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. So what is the desire of the devil? So this is what the devil always desires. He is a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Wow. So that's the devil. That's the devil. So when we see right in the midst of this verse 25, 26, 27, 28, verse 27, when he says, and give no opportunity to the devil, we're seeing this contrast here. Remember Ephesians 2, where Jesus says that we all once, this is our pre-saved condition. Remember, if you go to Ephesians 2, this is our pre-saved condition. Ephesians 2, verse 1. As for you, you were. Praise God for the past tense. If you are in Jesus Christ and you believe in him and you've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and you're alive, you hear these verses and you say, thank you, God, for the past tense. That's the key. You're, you're, a, big, you're a big supporter of the past tense in these verses. You don't want present tense. You don't want present tense. If you are reading Ephesians chapter 2, verses one and two, and you don't believe in Jesus Christ, these are still 
present tense for you. You don't want present tense. You want to be able to read Ephesians 2 verses 1 and 2 as they are written for God's people. Past tense. Past tense. So this is what the Apostle Paul says here in Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1. As for you, is he speaking to believers here? As for you, you were, here's the past tense, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Who is the ruler of the kingdom of the air? There it is. It's the devil. It's Satan. It's the very one he's referencing now in Ephesians 4. And that's where Jesus is, John 8. That's what he's telling to those who are opposing him and seeking to destroy him and were mocking him and jealous of him. He says, your father is the devil. So what's powerful about John 8, 24, when Jesus says that to the religious leaders who are opposing him, we see where Paul places every one of us in that state before we were saved. So every one of us, before we came to salvation in Jesus Christ, had the devil as our father. That's what he's saying. Here's the contrast. But once you come to faith in Jesus Christ through God's grace in that, you got a new father. Hallelujah. So when we enter into Ephesians 4, and he references the devil again, he's reminding you we no longer have the devil as our father therefore even though the father of lies is the devil all he knows how to do is lie there's no truth in him but if we are in jesus christ and jesus christ is the way the truth and the life no one gets the father except through him jesus says know the truth and the truth will set you free so we have the contrast here between jesus who is the truth and the devil who is the father of all lies so that's why verse 25 of our text says this therefore that's how it starts therefore and why is the therefore therefore because in verse 24 that we have put on the new self, created to be like God. There's our new father. We no longer live according to our old father, the devil. We live like our new father. Now that we've been adopted through Jesus Christ, his son, we live like the new father in what? In true righteousness and holiness. So as we continue going through Ephesians 4 and into 5 and into 6, oh, 6, you get to put on the armor. Wow, here we go out into the battle. So as we're leading up into that moment of, of the spiritual battle that we're all into, we're seeing how Paul is saying we are to look like, sound like, act like, think like, live like, our new Father, which is God. 
And we can do that because of Jesus Christ. So the first aspect about that is verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood. So just as we put off that old self, we put away falsehood. Put away falsehood. This is, this is how you properly weed your garden. For all those getting their gardens ready right now, you may have weeds that have already come up. So to properly remove these weeds, you try to, if it's a dandelion or something like that, remember you're trying to get all of the root. It doesn't work to weed like how I weeded when I was a kid. My grandparents would invite me out to the garden. There would be a dandelion there. What would I do? I'd just grab the top and poof, pop it off. And my grandfather would grab his chest and say, you've just multiplied. I remember that was his name. You've made it worse. You've got to get down there and dig that thing out and get all the root out. So this put away, this means a continual uprooting, removing, and throwing it away from you. If you think weeding your garden is hard, have mercy. This is where we need every moment, every day, the grace of God for this continual weeding of falsehoods in our life. Therefore, having put away, pull up and rid yourself of falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth, here it is, with his neighbor. Why do we do this? For we are members one of another. That takes you to Romans chapter 12. That takes you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 5, Paul says the same thing there, that we are the body of Christ, members of one another. You don't in your body want parts of your body to be lying to other parts of the body. When that takes place, you can't walk. You can't function. Parts of your body start to shut down. Parts of your body start to war against each other, and you become sick and you die. If there is lying going within your physical body, it wrecks you and ruins you and compromises your health. This is the image of the body. That was my, my grandfather. My grandfather had Parkinson's disease. Oh, and I saw him as he got worse and worse. And I remember seeing him there and he was trying to, there was one time he was trying to move his leg. He tried his leg to move and he couldn't. No matter how he wanted this and that, the leg wouldn't listen. It was in war. It was in rebellion against him. It's as if he'd said, move. And I remember he'd saying, Jake, that leg just is, he won't do what I tell it. Just, there's lying. There's conflict within the body displayed in that. The Apostle Paul, remember, is reminding that we are the body of Christ. Every brother and sister in Jesus Christ, we are the body. We can't be living and acting like a compromised, diseased body 
where we are constantly fighting each other or lying to one another or deceiving one another, because then the body doesn't work. It doesn't function. It isn't able to do all that it is supposed to do. So we are members. That's why we speak the truth. We see this again in verse 26. The second area of focus that Paul has here, the first one is the contrast between falsehood and truth. The second one is an anger that leads to killing and destroying or an anger that stops before sin begins. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. I reference in the kids' moment a time that Jesus got angry. And you can see this if you turn to Mark chapter 3. So here we see an example of Jesus getting angry, yet not sinning in his anger. So this is important because we're going to see the contrast between that and the devil. And for a believer, which one are we to live like? That's the key. So if you go to Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. Remember, that's all they're concerned about, is how to trip up Jesus, how to catch Jesus in a violation of their code so they can destroy him. That's all they're concerned about. Why, verse 2, so that they may accuse him. That's it. So all their motivation is accusing to destroy. Who's that like? That's the devil. Remember, all the devil does is accuse. He's the accuser of the brethren. All he does is speak accusations against us so that we would be destroyed. That's all the devil does. And this is how they are Jesus. Verse 3. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them. Oh. Jesus is looking at the Pharisees, these religious leaders, who are just seeking to accuse and destroy him. Now he looks at them and he asks them a question. He says this, verse 4. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? Now, here's Jesus with one simple question exposing their hearts. Remember, this is the Sabbath. All they wanted to do was find a way to accuse Jesus to destroy him. That's what they were doing on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. That was their heart intent. That was their desire What was Jesus' intent? Was to save. Was to do good. Isn't this amazing? Jesus just, bam, exposes their hearts. Right there. But they were silent. There's nothing that's going to close your mouth quicker than when God comes and exposes the truth of your heart. 
verse 5, and he looked around at them with anger. You know what's powerful with that word in the Greek? You know what it means in the Greek? Anger. It's a very appropriate translation. That's what it means. With anger. But what kind of anger is this? Grieved at their hardness of heart. It's a grief. Sad. You see, this is the same anger. This is exactly what Dinah pointed out in the children's moment, where she read in the Old Testament where God looked at the world and every intention of the heart was evil. And it says, and God was grieved. Remember, that's why he sent the flood. That's exactly the same understanding of God's anger as what we find here in Jesus. Grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, see, Jesus went ahead doing good, regardless of the the intent of those around him. Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So again, we see the contrast here. When Paul says, be angry and do not sin, do not let the sin go down in your anger, he's quoting from Psalm 4. Psalm 4, it's word for word. Psalm 4, verse 4 says, be angry and do not sin. This is exactly where Paul is taking this. And what's so powerful is Psalm 4 then goes on. You see where the Apostle Paul takes Psalm 4 and he interprets it. So Psalm 4 says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds. So Psalm 4 is telling someone, be angry, but don't sin. And when you go to bed, you're laying in your bed, you're putting your head there on that pillow, and you are pondering in your heart. What is that pondering supposed to do? That pondering is supposed to lead you to be silent. To deal with that anger in a direction of healing rather than destruction. So that's why Paul interprets it in verse 26 of our our text. And he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't get in your bed and just ponder vengeance and revenge and destruction. No, allow your heart and mind be filled with the peace of God that passes all understanding. That's the contrast. So again, you see this contrast between Jesus, as the example of Mark 3, with the devil, the thief. And you see this most clearly in John 10.10. John 10.10, where Jesus says, just before it, he said he's the good shepherd. And John 10.10, he says, the thief, so this is the devil, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But what does Jesus come to do? But I came to give them a life, not only life, but life in full abundance. Abundant life. So that's why at the heart of this passage is verse 27, give no opportunity to the devil. If we continue to speak falsehood, 
and lie within the body of Christ, within the people of God. We are giving the devil footholds and opportunities to cause division and to tear us apart. Remember what, what we are to be in Christ. We are to be of one heart, one mind, striving side by side for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The devil doesn't like that. He wants us to be of many hearts, divided minds, and running in all every direction with whatever gospel we want to come up with. No unity. No togetherness. Don't give the devil opportunity through lying and deception within the church. Again, don't give the devil opportunity through anger, allowing anger to fester and grow until it explodes. Again, the devil's all about conflict and destruction. Jesus is about peace and unity for life. Unity in the truth, but unity for life, not destruction. And then again, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal. Here again is a contrast between who we are in Jesus Christ and who we were under the devil. When we are under the devil, enslaved to the ways of this world and our own fallen passions of our flesh, every thought, every action, every desire was all about how I can take, take, take and gain at the expense of others how I can do everything I can to ensure I get the best, I get the most at the expense of everyone else. But that's not Jesus Christ. That's not Jesus Christ. The best way to see Jesus Christ is you go to Philippians 2, where Jesus emptied himself so completely where he would go even death on the cross. So he would be humiliated to the lowest degree so that we could have his riches. So Paul says in 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work. I love that. Honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We saw this example given by Paul in many places. Paul would go to a place and he would do his own tent making and he would do his own support so that he could model someone who was never idle, never dependent on others, someone working hard and doing what he can. That's what he said to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 4. He was encouraging the same group of people who before had lived lives of thievery and corruption and stealing. He told them to do honest work so they may be dependent on no one. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, again to the church in Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul said, if you don't work, you don't eat what he says there was a large group of people who were who were thinking and consumed that jesus was coming back tomorrow i mean literally tomorrow 
So they stopped working. They stopped. They were just waiting around. And that's okay as long as your, your food stock is there. But once that runs out, you start to get a little hungry. And Paul's response in that context was, tell them if they don't work, they don't eat. This is what Paul is telling his church. And he says this, don't be idle, but be busy at work. Why? So that you have something to give. Same thing here. So that you have something to contribute to those who truly are in need, who have had a crisis or situation, and the church in love supports them, encourages them. But for the Apostle Paul, there is no room for a privileged entitlement where you can think that I don't have to work hard. Someone can just support me in my idleness. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist in Scripture. And for the Apostle Paul, that is the mentality and understanding of our old father, the devil. And that is not who we are in Jesus Christ. So you can see how powerful verses 25 through 28, and that's why in the center here is that don't give the devil an opportunity of foothold. Peter says it another way. When Peter speaks about our pre-saved lives, he says, you've already lived long enough serving the devil and serving your sinful desires. You've already had enough of that. Now, live for God. Live like Jesus Christ. Be people of truth. Be people who have self-control in their anger. And be people who seek to work for God's glory so that you can contribute to those who are in need. In all these things, we lift up Jesus Christ who is our Lord, and who is our Savior. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in these scriptures you remind us that we have been set free. That when we read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we read those in the past tense for ourselves. That we are no longer enslaved to the world. We are no longer children enslaved to the devil. We are no longer enslaved to the false passions and distorted desires of our fallen flesh. But you have made us new through the power of your Holy Spirit. And you continue by your grace to sanctify us and make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we are just so grateful because we are absolutely and completely dependent on your grace every step of the way. We thank you for your love. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.